Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. That indeed is the gospel. That is the good news. The good news that Jesus came to set us free from whatever sins trapped us. He took off the bonds, the invisible bonds that have trapped us, and he has set us free. And when you follow Christ, you are absolutely free indeed. Today, we are in, uh, in uh, the final message of this half of this in-game series. If you have not been with us, if this is your first time here, I would encourage you to get on our website or get on our YouTube channel and watch all of the previous uh, in-game series of messages. This is talking about what the Bible talks about as the end of times scenario, the end of times things that will be happening. And today, what we're going to do is wrap up the first section of it. I'm going to hit the pause button, and we are going to move into a Christmas series, which to me is hard to believe that it is almost Christmas. Thanksgiving this week, we're only four weeks then away from Christmas. Uh, by the way, how many of you have already finished your shopping for Christmas? Are there any of you in here that have already finished? Okay. We have one sick person who is already done with it. <laughs> That's just absolutely amazing. Um, you are my hero. I will never be like you. 
I will never be able to accomplish that. Well, we are going to start next week a series called A Weary World Rejoices. And what we're going to look at for the Christmas season, and I'm excited to look at this, is I'm going to look at four specific prophecies that are given out of the Old Testament that point to the coming Messiah that Jesus ultimately fulfilled. In uh, connection with that, combination to that, the daily devotional series that I will start putting out again this next week, uh, those will also be looking at many of the key prophecies given in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the major ones on Sunday morning. We're going to look at the minor ones that happen uh, throughout that devotional series. But there are... There, there are 40 specific prophecies that we are going to look at, but there are many more that were given of the coming Messiah that Jesus ultimately fulfilled. It is a strengthening of your faith to look at and see the fact that these things were talked about hundreds, not only thousands of years before Jesus. He came on the scene. He fulfilled them. It is a strengthening of your faith. It's an impossible uh, thing statistically for that to happen. Jesus has to be the Messiah. He has to be the coming one that the Old Testament talked about. And we're going to look at that as we get into that series. I really think that it's going to give you hope. It's going to give you encouragement, especially in this, this past year where it has been so discouraging and, uh, and we need a sense of hope and we need a sense of encouragement. So that'll start next week. A weary world rejoices today. We're going to end the first half of the Endgame series. We're going to end it up in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, and we're going to finish on verse 14. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, and we're going to read verses 3 through 14 together. We're going to look again at what Jesus said, just remind ourselves of the context of all that was going on. And here is the context, here is the story as it is written, as it is spoken of by Jesus himself. Uh, again, Jesus had been in the temple. He had given this series of condemnations to the fake religious people, the hypocrites, as he called them, the people that had an outward visible sign of God, but they did not have the internal reality of God. God does not care about you looking religious. He cares about you having a relationship with him in your heart, that you have been changed from from the inside out. It is the process of transformation that happens to us. He wants to transform us from the inside out to make us into completely new and different uh, creations of his. He was sitting in the temple, or he was standing in the temple talking, giving these series of condemnations. Then Jesus gave a prophetic statement talking about the end times events. He walked out of the temple his disciples were following him. He walked about 30 minutes to the Mount of Olives. He sat down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples were probably talking with themselves as they walked along behind him, thinking, what was that all about? What is Jesus talking about? Was he referring to what we think he was referring to, which was the book of Daniel? Uh, what is going on? So when he got to the Mount of Olives, he sat down, and it says the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, please, Jesus, we've got to know, when will these things happen, what will be the sign of your coming, and what will be the sign of the end of the age? That is the fundamental three questions that are being asked that we all have. When are these things going to happen? What's the sign, and what is the sign of your coming? What's the sign of the end of the age? What's the sign of your coming? When will these things take place? 
Yeshua, that is the Hebrew name for Jesus, that's actually Jesus' name. Yeshua, Jesus, answered them, Be careful that no one leads you astray or deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will lead many astray. That's one of the signs of the end. You're going to have a lot of deception that is occurring. Then he says, you're going to hear of wars and you're going to hear of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must happen, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom will rise up against kingdom. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes in various places, but these are only the beginning of the labor pains, of the birth pains. The contractions are just starting. We have a lot of travail left to go through before the birth of the new age actually happens. Then he says, they will hand you over to persecution and will kill you. And you're going to be hated by all the nations because of my name. Then many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Lawlessness is going to multiply, and because lawlessness is multiplying, the love of many is going to grow cold. You're going to have a lot of cold-hearted people because they will no longer be seeking after the law of God, the righteousness of God written on our hearts, written on the inside of us. Because of that, it will grow cold. You remember the word grow cold? grow cold that I looked at a couple of weeks ago. It is the Greek word psycho. It is all going to go psycho. It's going to become psychotic because the love of many is going to grow cold because lawlessness has been multiplied. But what we looked at last week, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, Jesus is going to wrap up this little section with these words, the good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so we've looked at this timeline as Jesus himself describes it. Now, again, we will come back to this in January. We're going to look at all of the timelines because there are multiple timelines that happen in the Bible, but they all converge at this point in the middle called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation begins. So in the book of Ezekiel, we see the nation of Israel having peace, and then they have this Great Tribulation happening. In the book of Daniel, you see the rise of the Antichrist, you see the rise of his kingdom, and then the great tribulation will happen. You see in the book of Matthew, these events, you see there's deception, there is false prophets arising, there's social and global ecological pressures, there's persecutions and the hatred of Christians, there's a falling away from the faith, betrayal and hatred of one another, there's lawlessness and lovelessness, and then there is also a worldwide evangelism explosion where the good news is being preached into all of the world, then this great tribulation event happens. In the book of Revelation, what you see is the story of the churches, the seven ages of the church. Then you have these world-ending events happening as the great tribulation occurs. So what happens in all of these timelines is that they all converge into this one point and that's where we'll pick it up in the month of January. We'll pick up and understand this because we have several questions that we still need to understand and really wrestle with. First, who is the Antichrist? Where will the Antichrist come from? What will be the Antichrist empire? 
is it an empire of old that is being resurrected or is this a brand new kind of empire that's being created? Uh, what about the attack on Israel? What will that be? What is the desolation, the abomination of desolation event that they're talking about? Um, who is the Antichrist right-hand man that the book of Revelation and also the book of Daniel is going to talk about? What is the mark of the beast? Can I get the mark of the beast accidentally or will I know if I receive the mark of the beast? Will I have to purpose? accept it and receive it. And all of those questions are things that we are going to answer in January when we push play again and get back into this series. So today we'll wrap up the first half of it with understanding the good news at the end of all things, the good news, the gospel that is being proclaimed by Jesus at the end of all things. Let's pray as we begin. Father, help us to hear from you. Help us to bring honor and glory to your name. Help us, Lord, to understand these events so that when we start to see them happen, we are not caught off guard. Help us to understand these events so that we are connected to you, committed to you, and helping others to find you in the midst of these things happening. Father, I pray that you would bless this time, that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, this is not about any of us. This is not about, uh, about our desires. It's about you and you alone. And we want to worship you and we want to lift up your name. We want to thank you for this plan that you have of gathering your church and bringing your church to be with you for all eternity. Father, for myself, and I hope for many here, we are saying, yes, Lord Jesus, please come. Please rescue us. Please bring us into your presence so that we may be with you forever. Lord, there is not an eye who has seen, an ear who has understood, a mind who has been able to wrap our brains around the concept of what this is going to be like. It's our best guess, Lord. Eternity with you is beyond imagination. It's beyond speculation. It is something remarkable that we can only dream about. Lord, help us to look forward to that day where you return and we are gathered to you forever. Be with us now as we open your word, we preach your word, Lord, and we understand it. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The, the gospel, the good news at the end of all things, that's what Jesus wraps up this entire section with. He's saying, this is going to happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. Then, here is the ultimate thing that's going to happen before the end actually is ushered in. Jesus says this, this good news of the kingdom, it shall be proclaimed. Where is this good news going to be, pro be proclaimed? It's going to be proclaimed in the whole world. The whole world will have opportunity and will hear the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus. The whole world is going to hear it as a testimony to all the nations. And when they finally hear it, then the end will come. The end will not come until the entire world has had the opportunity to have the message of the gospel proclaimed to it or to them. The word proclaimed is the word preached. The gospel has to be preached to every nation, to every part of the world, to every corner of the world. And when that happens, the end will come. 
There's one reason, uh, again, tying into what we talked about last week, that I do not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and that is because if the church is removed, how will there be a testimony to all the nations? How will the gospel be preached to all of the world? How will it be proclaimed if there is no one left to proclaim it? Are people just going to stumble into this accidentally? That's not the way God has established it. Romans 10.9, Paul said, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 14, he adds to it this, But how can they call upon him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard of him? And how can anyone hear about him unless someone tells you? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. The good news has to be proclaimed into all the world before the end can come. So I want you to notice these words. Jesus says, it's going to be proclaimed to the whole world. It will be a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. Connect that in your mind to what Jesus said at the very end of the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says this. And Jesus, Yeshua, came up to them and he spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And look what it says, make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, Holy Spirit is Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Remember, Jesus gives a promise, I will be with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, Matthew 24, Jesus says, it's going to be preached to all the nations, then the end will come. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples in all the nations. There is something significant about this. In Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14, here's what we've heard about these nations. We have heard that nation will rise against nation. Every nation will hate you. Then... The whole world will hear it in every nation. There will be a testimony in every nation, meaning there will be people who come to faith in every nation. That's what he is saying. In the book of Revelation, John, who sees this incredible vision, writes these words. He looked out over a vast multitude of people, and he says, I, I looked, and behold, there was a vast multitude that no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every nation... Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every group. Jesus says it's going to be preached to all the nations. Matthew 28, he says, go to all of the nations and make disciples. Revelation, he says, there were people from every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue. They were all there. When that finally happens, then the end will come. 
but it cannot come until every nation has been reached with the gospel. So that begs the question, well, what, what are nations exactly? Are you talking like um, Finland and Belgium and uh, Argentina? Is that what you're talking about when it comes to nations? And the answer to that is no. And we've looked at this before. The Greek word for nations is the Greek word ethnos, which means people groups, races, ethnicities, ethnic groups, racial groups, tribes. That is what Jesus is saying. When the gospel has reached and penetrated every nation, meaning every ethnic group, every race, every tribe, every tongue, when there is a testimony in every nation, meaning there are believers in every nation, and when there have been martyrs in every one of those nations, that's the clothed in white most likely that Revelation talks about. He says that's when the end will finally come. That's when it will finally happen, when this kingdom, this good news of the kingdom, when it is proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. The end will not happen until the gospel is preached to every tongue, every tribe, every race, every people group in this world. So, so how's that going to work? Is there an angel in heaven with a clipboard standing there saying, okay, I'm just, I'm just waiting. And he, it, 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 somebody finally hands that one last guy who's on, living on the side of a mountain. He hands him a track. The guy reads the track. And then they say, okay, we can check it off. Now it's time to go. I, I don't think that's the way that it works. I think the way that it works is that Jesus being patient being very patient and slow to bring his wrath, who does not want anyone to perish, but all to be saved and come to the, to the saving knowledge of Jesus, that Jesus is giving opportunity for people in every tribe, every tongue, every nation to finally say, I am ready. I, I, I'm willing to accept him. I want to follow Jesus. So that also begs the question of this, well, how close then are we to reaching every tribe, Every people, every nation, every, uh, every tongue. How close are we to reaching every people group in this world? Well, the answer to that is not as close as you would think. In fact, right now, statistics say that we have, as a, as a world, only reached 59% of the people groups in this world with the gospel. Therefore, there are 41% of people groups still that are remaining unreached with the gospel as of today. According to statistics from the Joshua Project, it is estimated that of the 7.75 billion people alive in the world today, 3.23 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to the Joshua Project, there are approximately 17,446 unique people groups in the world, with 7,400 or plus of them considered unreached. That is over 41% of the world's population. So Jesus says, look, it will be proclaimed everywhere, every people group. There will be a witness in every people group. There will be a testimony in every people group. Most likely there will be martyrs in every people group. But right now, the way we are sitting is that there are still 7,400 people groups that are yet to be reached with the gospel.
I want you to check out this video uh, on unreached people groups just to get your brain wrapped around this concept. Let's look at this together. What is a UPG? UPG stands for unreached people group, but to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations, or people groups, within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs, or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. So here's what that tells us, <clears throat> that we're not there yet. We have not reached the end yet. I know that this whole series has been a little bit scary. It's been a little bit intense. It's been a little bit heavy as I've talked about the other things that Jesus has talked about. But from what we see that Jesus himself says that before the end comes, here are the kinds of things that have to happen. The temple must be rebuilt in Israel. Otherwise, you cannot have an abomination of desolation event. The Antichrist has to be revealed according to what Paul says. The Antichrist beastly empire has to be in place. And you will start to see that gathering as I show you what I believe that is actually going to be. 
There has to be a great apostasy, a great falling away from the faith, again, according to what Jesus and what Paul both say. And the gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed or preached to all of the nations. Then the end comes. This is why I think that despite popular YouTube videos saying that the rapture will happen any moment and you need to prepare yourself, it's going to be, you know, it was supposed to be this fall. I heard several of them say it will be this fall, guaranteed. It did not happen. I really believe that we are still probably 10 to 20 to maybe even 30 years away from those events happening. So why am I preparing you for all of this now? It is so that when you start to see the events unfolding, you will connect the dots in your mind and you will realize, wait a second, we are there. If there is still 40% of the world that has not been reached with the gospel, how will the gospel message spread? And it's going to spread rapidly in these three ways. One, it will spread through missions. There will be outreach programs that will happen in a lot of these areas. Right now, in Iran, in Syria, in Turkey, they are the fastest growing churches in the world despite the Muslim oppression that is happening. Despite the ban by the government in those places, it is still spreading rapidly, more quickly than any other church in the world. You will start to see an explosion of missionaries. Not really missionaries coming from without, but missionaries coming from within to their neighbors and friends. That's the kind of missionaries that we are going to need. People sharing with friends and families the message of the gospel. You are not called necessarily to go to Africa, but you are called to go across the street to your neighbor and reach your neighbor with the gospel. We are all missionaries in that manner. Another way that the gospel will rapidly begin to advance in this window is through persecution. Persecution was always the means that the gospel rapidly spread throughout the world. It happened in the book of Acts multiple times. Every time there was persecution, believers fled the persecution. And when they fled, they took their, the gospel message along with their families with them, and it impacted the area. That's one way that it will happen. As persecution arises that Jesus has already talked about in Matthew 24, the gospel will spread everywhere that people flee to. As Iranians uh, flee, believing Iranians flee, believing Syrians flee, believing uh, the, those in Turkey who are believers, as they flee, the gospel will spread everywhere they go. That is another way. But the third way is going to be probably the most rapid way of explosion, and that is through technology. I think it's estimated today that only 60% of the world has internet capabilities. As that approaches 100%, you're going to see a plethora of messages being put on there. Right now, you already have so much content with Bible teachings, with sermons that are there, and it is just going to rapidly explode. There are internet sites, there are television stations today that broadcast into some of these unreached people group areas with the gospel, and you're finding people that are getting saved. So when I say it could happen 10 or 20 years, that doesn't take into account the fact that this could rapidly change. That 40% could be reached in the next 5 to 10 years or less with all of those things happening. So... What does all of this tell us? Jesus saying, look, prepare for the end. 
The end is going to happen. The end is going to come. I can guarantee it. Here's what it's going to look like. Here is the signs. Here are the warning signs. Here is the when that it's going to happen. Prepare your heart and get your heart ready. Make sure that your heart is willing and able and ready to receive Jesus when he returns, but more so be willing and able and ready to receive Jesus today and make sure you have a relationship with him today. Paul said those words that I already read in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you made that decision yet where you believe in your heart that he raised Jesus from the dead and that you openly declare with your mouth, you confess him that Jesus indeed is Lord. If you are willing to do that and that's your heart's cry, you were saved. If you are not willing to, you have not been saved. You need to be saved. You need to be in right relationship with God so that when he comes back, when he returns, that you are not left out, that the door is not closed in your face, that you have an opportunity to be with him for all eternity. As we wrap this up and we move into communion here today, I want to share one example from the Bible. It's three different things that happen in this one story, and I'll go through this story uh, rather quickly. But three different things that happen that really describe how people react to Jesus. When Jesus encounters you and you have a run-in with him, most likely you will respond in one of these three ways. Let's look at this together. The story is found in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And I'm going to read through this rather quickly and just point out three things as we enter into our time of communion. Look at what it says. There's a story that happens. It's a kind of an odd story that happens. It's a story of, a, of Jesus having an encounter with a man who was demon-possessed. It says in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea. So they were in a boat. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of uh, Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus, as soon as Yeshua got out of the boat, a man came to him, a man from the graveyard who was demon-possessed, who had an unclean spirit, this man met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been ripped apart by him, and the shackles broken. No one was strong enough to tame him. And through it all, night and day, at the graveyard, and in the mountains, he kept screaming and gashing himself with stones. When he saw Yeshua from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what's between you and me, Yeshua ben El Elon, which means Jesus, son of the most high God? I'm warning you in the name of God, do not torment me. Why would the demon warn Jesus in the name of God? It's because the demons had been given the opportunity to exist until the end. They had been given the opportunity to keep going until the end. When the end happens, they will meet their ultimate and final destruction. So he says, do not torment me. I, you can't touch me yet. It's not time. It's not time for our destruction. 
Yeshua had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Yeshua began questioning him, what's your name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. He kept begging him not to send them out of the country. I want you to notice this word. The word is begging. He kept begging him. He kept pleading with him. He kept begging him, do not destroy me now. It is not time. It is not the appointed time for our destruction. You see, when Jesus encounters the demonic, when he encounters the unclean, there is a natural desire that they have to get away from him. And they say to Jesus, they beg Jesus, do not kill us. Our time is not yet at hand. I want you to keep that word in the back of your mind, begging. Now there was a large herd of pigs and they were feeding on the hillside nearby. The unclean spirits urged him saying, send us to the pigs that we may enter them. So Yeshua gave them permission. So the demons went into these pigs. The pigs were an unclean animal. The pigs shouldn't have been there in that area, but they were. He gave the demons permission to go into the pigs. The demons would still exist and still survive because they were not being destroyed. The unclean spirits came out. They entered the pigs. The herd, uh, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the cliff, were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and told the town and countryside. And when they came to see what had happened... Now notice this. Now they came to Yeshua and they saw the madman who had been, who had had the legion. He was sitting there, he was dressed in clothes and he was in his right mind. The people were scared. They were scared once because he was crazy and he was screaming and he was gashing himself and he was living in the graveyard, but now they're scared because the guy is normal and he's been healed and they're scared of what happened and why is he like this? Those who had seen the event take place described in detail what had happened to the man plagued by a demon. And they also told about the pigs. And look what it says. And they began to beg Yeshua to leave their country. So here you have it again. The demons were begging him, it's not our time, do not destroy us, it's not time for our judgment. Now the people who encountered Jesus are saying, we don't want you here, we beg you, get away, leave. When Jesus enters into a, a situation, he is a disruptive force. When Jesus comes into your life, he is a destructive entity in your life because your life cannot stay the same any longer. Your life, when you have encountered Jesus, has to change. You can't stay in your addictions any longer. You can't stay in your dysfunction any longer. You cannot continue your sin any longer when Jesus encounters you. But not wanting to let him disrupt my life, I will often just say, Jesus, I beg you, just leave me alone. I don't want you here. So they beg him to leave. Anytime Jesus upsets the status quo, people say, Jesus, we don't want you here, just leave. Notice one more thing. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been infested with demons, look at what it says of him. He kept begging Jesus to remain with him. Notice those three distinct things. The demon said, we beg you, it's not our time, do not destroy us, it's not our judgment day. 
The town said, we don't like your disruptive force. We don't like your destructive, disruptive uh, presence here among us. Just leave us, let, let us go. By the way, that's where the world is. The world mostly says to Jesus, we don't want you here. You're too disruptive. Just leave us alone. And then you have a man who had been infected and infested. He had been demon-possessed. And having been healed from the demon possession, look what he says. He says, Jesus, I beg you, I just want to be with you. Please just stay. Just remain with me. You've changed my life. I want to be with you now forever. I don't want to leave your side because you have saved me. You have set me free. You have changed everything about me. Yeshua did not let him though. But he told him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord, Adonai, has done for you and how he has showed you mercy. So the man who had been healed went away and began to proclaim Jesus, began to proclaim Adonai in the Decapolis, and he began to tell them just how much Yeshua had done for him, and all were amazed. When you encounter Jesus, you will either say to him, I beg you to leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. Or you will say, I beg you, please just let me remain in your presence. Or please, Jesus, return so that I can be with you forever. When you have an encounter with Jesus like that, your heart is filled with gratitude. Your desire is to share with others the mercy that God has shown you. Your desire is to proclaim to others exactly what the good news is, the good news of the gospel. Do you know that the testimony that Paul gave countless times in the book of Acts was always the same? Here's how he did it. He said, here is what I was like before Jesus. Here is what, where I met Jesus on the Damascus road and how it changed my life. And here is what my life has been like after. When you have an encounter with God like that, you will be begging him to return, begging him to abide with you, begging him to let you have that close relationship with him and you will be proclaiming your testimony. Here's what I was like before. Here is the encounter I had and here is what I have been like after. And you'll be sharing with people the overflowing gratitude that is in your heart, the mercy that you have received and you will be proclaiming it throughout the world. See, that's what's still left for Jesus to return. The end will not happen until every people group has been reached. When those people groups are reached, some will say, Jesus, I beg you to leave me alone. The demons will say, Jesus, I beg you, it's not time for our judgment yet, but there will be a handful of people that will say, Jesus, I beg you to stay with me because you have changed my life forever. You have saved me and you have set me free from the things that were plaguing me that there will be a handful of people that will be so moved with gratitude because of what God has done that they can't keep it in anymore. They just have to spill it out everywhere they go. That ties in, I believe, to our time of communion here today. 
Now, when you came in, we are doing something very different today in response to all of the, uh, the COVID things that are happening and not wanting to pass the offering plates at all and having everybody touch those things. You have a communion in a cup here with you today. It is not ideal, but it is a good substitute to be able to share communion together. If you did not get one of these, if you would just raise your hand and Pastor Dave will make sure you've got one here today. But I want everybody who is a believer in Jesus to have one of these. Or if you're ready to say, I'm ready to believe in Jesus that you have one of these. This little cup is kind of an interesting thing. I, I think the bread is, uh, I probably came from about the time of Jesus himself. So uh, good company here today. Do you know that the word communion that is often used is the word Eucharist? Have you heard that before, the word Eucharist? Do you know what the word Eucharist comes from in the Greek? The Greek, the, the, the Greek um, form of Eucharist is the Greek word Eucharistia. You know what the word Eucharistia means? It means gratitude. Do you know when you take the Eucharist, you are taking gratitude? you are responding in gratitude to God for what he has done for you. There is only one way to be saved. There are not multiple ways, not multiple plans, and not multiple roads. There's only one way. It is what Paul said, if you will believe in the Lord Jesus, believe that God raised him from the dead with all your heart, and if you will be willing to confess the name of the Lord Jesus everywhere you go, you will be saved. I hope that you have made that decision. If you have not made that decision right now, in the quietness of this time, I want you just to pray this prayer after me. And would you please just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I want to receive you. I want Jesus in my life. I'm a mess. I'm stuck in these chains, Lord. They are holding me down. I am like this guy who was, who was demon-possessed. I am just overwhelmed by the things and the junk in my life. I can't seem to get free, Lord. I know right now if I were to die, I would have no hope. I would be headed for hell. But Jesus, I am begging you, please save me. I want to believe in you with all of my heart. And I want to confess your name with my lips. And I want to have certainty in my heart that I am yours and yours forever. So Jesus, I come to you now asking for your forgiveness and for you to enter into my heart and for me to be saved. And I want to thank you for the mercy you have shown me. And I beg you, Lord, come quickly and gather us to yourself. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.